but little did I know that Martine is more clever than me. Well, I did know that. Welcome to episode eight of the Kidlet Craft podcast. This season, we're taking a deep dive into the YA novel Buffalo Flats by Martine Levitt. Today, we're focusing on romance. I'm Anne-Marie Stroman, and I write for children and young adults, as well as short stories for adults. Hi, I am Erin Nuttall, and I write for children and young adults, and I mostly focus on those young adults. On Kidlet Craft, we look at mentor texts, to discover the mechanics of how writers do what they do so we can apply it to our own writing. And as Anne-Marie mentioned, we are going to look at Martine Levitt's Buffalo Flats. The story is about Rebecca Levitt, who is in the Northwest Territories of Canada in the late 1800s. And what she wants more than anything is land. But since this is a Martine Levitt book, You will be unsurprised to learn that she also has romance on the mind. As we talked about last time with the B stories and subplots, romance is a big subplot. I would call it the B story. It's kind of the second most important story after her wanting the land. But there are, as we talked about, many other subplots. But let's start with vocabulary. I am going to talk about two different types of intimacy, physical intimacy which is the process of two characters becoming closer, developing or strengthening a bond through physical behavior, like holding hands, kissing, sex, that kind of thing. And I think this is what we see a lot in stories. And then emotional intimacy, and that is the process of two characters becoming closer, developing or strengthening a bond through mutual understanding, trust, vulnerability, communication, For example, they could serve one another or sacrifice for each other. They share their deeper feelings, their deeper thoughts, their hidden needs with one another. And someone you have emotional intimacy with is someone that you feel safe and secure with. And just to let people know, this will be a G-rated podcast. (laughs) It will indeed. (laughs) So tell me more about these two ideas. How do they intersect? Well, like I mentioned, With physical intimacy, it's what a lot of stories focus on, both on screen and in books. It's visual. It's easy to understand what's happening. We all have that quick feeling. It's a shortcut, goes right to those feelings that that we've all experienced. And so it's a shorthand for readers to, to understand that the characters are in love. But physical intimacy really is only a small component of a couple actually being in love. If physical intimacy is all you have, then you have a pretty shallow relationship. And it definitely has personal rewards and it has risks involved with it, but emotional intimacy is a slower burn. Characters, they have to get to know each other on a deeper level, show vulnerability with each other. And I think sometimes we as writers might shy away from that because it might feel like it's slowing your story down. We don't have that shorthand for emotional intimacy the way we do with physical intimacy. I think sometimes we just go straight to the easier way. But if we can write an emotionally intimate couple or a couple who becomes emotionally intimate, then we have a much deeper relationship and story. If you look at it like it's a story structure, the risks or the stakes of physical intimacy is rejection, while the reward and the desire is physical pleasure. 
There can also be a reward of getting closer to your romantic partner. But without emotional intimacy, partners can't know if the driving factor is pleasure or desire for increased intimacy. The risks or the stakes of emotional intimacy is also rejection, but the reward is being known and understood. So there is a vulnerability without the high-value serotonin reward, but the reward is a deeper understanding of who you are and who the other person is. So how do these things play out in Buffalo Flats? How does Martine handle the relationship between physical and emotional intimacy? Okay, so Martine sets up a bunch of complementary relationships. Well, they're complementary opposites with Rebecca's brothers. And the emotional intimacy is obvious, especially against the backdrop of little to no physical intimacy. Partly from the historical setting and partly from the religious constraints, there's limited physical interaction. So we're seeing a lot of emotional intimacy. That is correct. So first of all, with Gideon and Philemon, Gideon is large and quiet, and Philemon is tiny and vivacious. And there's a quote about their emotional intimacy that we see right after we hear they're getting married, right before they do get married. He, meaning Gideon, behaved as if God had given him all his strength and muscle for no other reason than to attend to the happiness of his Philemon. She, in turn, refused to wield her power over him and thought only about how she might help him see that he was the best man in the world. So we have these two physically opposite characters. They're big and tiny and quiet and vivacious. And then and they come together and we see their emotional intimacy. Zach, her other brother, falls in love with Florence. And we find out that they're so different in the beginning that Rebecca thinks that Zach would never be interested in Florence. But she is wrong, as she sometimes is. <laughs> and, and this is what we find out about Zach and Florence. When she was home, Rebecca watched Zach and Florence holding hands, walking across the field to their little home, as if walking were the most delightful way to occupy one's time. She could see how they gave each other little special attentions, understood much in a word or two, and knew when to tease and when to console, felt each other's little pains, and laughed when the other laughed, even when they hadn't heard the source of it. We see that they, too, have an emotional intimacy. And then we have Ammon and LaRue. And Ammon is her most annoying brother. And LaRue is her best friend, and she can't believe that they fell in love, but they did. And over time, she grows to understand why. She says, On the way home from church, nobody could speak of anything but the canal, except Ammon, who talked only of LaRue. Rebecca said, You know, she's the most perfect of human beings. She is that, Ammon said, not even pretending to misunderstand her. You know you don't deserve her. I know it. Tell me you mean it. I mean it, Rebecca. I mean it forever. I'm going to marry her forever. And then she says, since LaRue started saying nice things about Ammon, Rebecca had begun to see him differently. She saw how he bore up under the teasing of his older brothers. She saw how he tried hard to rise to father's expectations. He went as often as he could, courting to LaRue now. Though Sister Fletcher made sure the courting candle was the shortest she could find. When the candle went out, the courting was done for the evening. And... 
this I, I thought was an endearing look at how those two loved each other and saw the best in each other and also helped others see the best in one another as well. Yeah. One thing that is nice about this as well is it intersects with Rebecca's desire to become a better person because as LaRue sees the good in Ammon, then Rebecca starts to be able to see the good in Ammon as well. Mm-hmm. And then later, when she finds out that LaRue is pregnant pre-marriage, she has to also adjust her idea of what a good person looks like. And so she says, LaRue had broken a commandment. LaRue and her brother, her own upright brother and her own perfect best friend. Why, she had thought LaRue was so good. And now here she was, bad. (laughs) But that wasn't right. Rebecca didn't know how, but she knew that wasn't right. If she knew one thing, she knew there was something singularly and profoundly loving and good in her friend. If she knew one thing in the whole world, it was that LaRue was good. Rebecca's mind sorted. Everything she had thought was good and right suddenly seemed like phonics, a set of rules someone had made up but didn't always apply. Mm-hmm. So we have those complementary opposites where her brothers and her new sisters-in-law are learning to love each other emotionally. We also see Rebecca learning to be more open with her ideas about what perfect looks like. So these are great examples. I do feel like you've been holding out a little bit on us because these are all secondary characters and there are things that Rebecca observes, there are things she learns from, but Rebecca has her own romance. So give us a peek into Rebecca and her romance. Rebecca has a crush on Levi and she is also really good friends with Kobe And I love how Martine introduces both Kobe and Levi at the church dance. The introduction sets forth the back and forth nature of Rebecca's thoughts and feelings about each one of them. So first, when we see Levi, Rebecca notes that he's the owner of Fine Horse Ranch. And we meet him as he is nearly, so we've heard of him, and then we meet him as he's nearly getting in a fight with the Cochran Cowboys, who are not part of their religious community, but who do enjoy a good dance. And so, and then we meet Kobe. He comes into this argument between Levi and the Cochran Cowboys, and Rebecca describes him with a low, easy voice, having a friendly way. And he interrupts the argument and reminds everybody that they're there to dance and be neighborly. And he convinces Levi in his friendly way to concede. So the dance progresses. And Rebecca thinks that she was going to be asked by everyone but Levi, (laughs) the very one she hoped to dance with. And so this sets up Rebecca's preference for Levi. So we see that she has this little bit of a crush on him. So eventually Levi asks her to dance and it's a waltz, which is very scandalous, which (laughs) I'm surprised it's so scandalous so late in the century. But I think that it took a while to make it all the way around the world and not be risque. This is what Rebecca says about it. She admired Levi for shocking the older ladies, and she felt brave and wicked all at once. And I have to say, what teenager doesn't want to feel brave and wicked? (laughs) At the end of of that dance of the waltz, she felt she needed to lean ever so slightly against the wall. 
hearts aflutter, hearts aflutter. Yes. And I do like that because frequently we do talk about body parts that way, where we would say, you know, her heart fluttered. But instead of that, because I'll tell you right now, Martine is against those body part shortcuts. <laughs> so Martine instead has her lean against the wall. And you knew immediately that it was the same thing, but it was a more interesting and a different way to talk about it, right? So then Kobe asked her to dance a proper square dance. Well, she thinks that her family admires Kobe. To Rebecca, he seems just an ordinary young man. And as they danced, Rebecca couldn't help wishing for another thrilling waltz. So that is set up. Levi is exciting and thrilling and Kobe is regular. But then during a break, Kobe and Rebecca have a conversation. They're eating cookies and drinking punch. Rebecca asks Kobe, Kobe, do you believe couples who marry were destined to be together? No, I can't say that I do. Why not? She asked. God has planned everything out so well. Why would he leave the most important thing to chance? He rubbed his chin. Well, but wouldn't it be worse to think you had no say over the most important thing? She thought about this a while while she finished her cookie. It was true that she loved her say. <laughs> a little bit of humor. She was still thinking about it when another waltz began and Levi asked her to dance again. Okay, so here is where she should be super excited, right? Levi's asking her to dance again. But this is what Martine says. She had other questions she would have liked to discuss with Kobe, she thought, as Levi led her around the dance floor. So we're setting up the differences in these young men and Rebecca's feelings. And that is a deeper conversation that she has right there than she has had with Levi, which is mostly about the wild waltz and his horses. And so it's the very beginning of emotional intimacy for Kobe and Rebecca. Kobe and Levi both seem like viable options for Rebecca, and she she's drawn to both of them. So how does she think about these two options? Well, what I really like that Martine does is she sets them up so that their differences are stark, so you can, the reader can see how they are different, but that they both have strengths and weaknesses. It's not like you read the book and you're like, oh man, that Levi, he's such a cad. Obviously, she should go with Kobe. Or Kobe's so boring. What am I, you know, why would she ever want to go with him, right? She sets them up with her strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, I like that because then I can think, oh, which one is she going to go for? They're both good options rather than recognizing right away who the jerk is. I found that they are so well balanced that I was really drawn to this Rebecca and Kobe. I was really drawn to the Rebecca and Levi. Like I could see the benefits. And I remember at the end feeling like, oh, this is the right choice. But there are so many romances and love triangles like that that don't work. So like take Little Women, for example. It makes logical sense for Joe to choose Professor Bear. But in our hearts, we all want Joe to fall for Lori. We want that relationship. So were there things that Martine did to help us get to the right answer along with Rebecca? Yeah, Martine frequently pits these two t against one another. And you're right, it's really well balanced. But Rebecca often wants to hear Kobe's opinion or understand what he thinks about a topic. 
And that is a way that helps clue the reader in that they are developing an emotional intimacy that we can rely on. Let's look at the development of emotional intimacy or not between Levi and Rebecca and then Kobe and Rebecca. So for Levi and Rebecca, there's a box lunch social for the bachelors to bid on the lunches that the young women make. And Rebecca's gets ruined, but Levi bids $3, which is a huge amount of money for a box lunch, even though he already had bid on Radonna's lunch. And it makes him seem really heroic in her eyes. And I will admit, when I read that Rebecca's lunch was ruined, I kind of thought Kobe would come in and save the day. But little did I know that Martine is more clever than me. Well, I did know that. <laughs> and she set it up for Levi to be the hero. So during their lunch, they have a conversation about something that's really vital to who Rebecca is. Rebecca loves nature. Rebecca loves the mountains. Rebecca loves the land where they live. And so Rebecca says, the mountains are like miracles. What? Those old things? Levi said. But she was sure he looked at them with the same love she did. <laughs> and then she goes on, I know, sweet Rebecca, she goes on to talk about the miraculous nature of the land and how she'd like to keep it wild. And she shares this important piece of her with him. And Levi responds, it would be a shame to let such land go to waste. It could be counted a miracle what a man can do with such wilderness as this. And so we know that Rebecca wants her own land and she wants to leave it wild. And that is Levi's response when she tells him her dream. Wrong answer, Levi. Wrong answer. <laughs> wrong answer. But an understandable answer, right? You can see why somebody might think that. And in fact, that was the answer that Rebecca's brothers had when she talked to them about it. So Martine shows Rebecca and Levi sharing their beliefs about something that was really important. And Rebecca doesn't seem to or chooses not to recognize that they're different at this juncture. So we've seen that Levi is not quite the emotional match for Rebecca here. There are things they are missing in common. They see the world in a really different way. But she does have more in common in this area with Kobe, right? She does. We can look at Rebecca and Kobe. And one night, Kobe and Levi both visit Rebecca at the same time. And Kobe airs his opinion in favor of protecting their part of the Rocky Mountains from hunters by making it a park like Yellowstone or some of the parks that the United States has recently created. And so the conversation goes back and forth. And then we get to what Rebecca says about it. Father and her brothers were looking from Kobe to Levi as if bewildered as to how the conversation had turned from friendly to tense. I say the good Lord gave us dominion, and he also gave us guns, Levi said. One plus one equals two. Rebecca thought about that. She admired that Levi had called the Lord good. But she had to admit that she didn't really understand his arithmetic. She waited for Kobe to speak, but he did not. Kobe says guns are the product of a fallen world, she said. He says sometimes we're cruel to Mother Nature. She realized at some point that she had stopped speaking for Kobe and was speaking for herself. We have right there where we see Rebecca actually recognizing that maybe she and Kobe align in that department of 
Mother Nature and the land. But we also see other ways where they're getting closer emotionally. Kobe sacrifices for Rebecca. So Kobe comes up to Rebecca one day and he says, I'm taking on extra work, driving freight to where they're building the railroad from Lethbridge South to Great Falls, food and other supplies. There's good money in it. Ammon will keep an eye out for my stock, but I wondered if I could ask you to feed my chickens and milk my cow. You may have the milk and butter of it, of course. She knew she should do it for free, but there was the matter of $480 to be earned. She could earn money selling milk and butter. Deal, she said, holding out her hand. He shook her hand and smiled and kept shaking it. He looked at his hand, still shaking hers as if he couldn't believe it was misbehaving in this way. He pulled it away and she turned and left. She watched after him, wondering why he was doing all this extra work when he had his homestead to care for, but she supposed it was none of her business. So Kobe does this, which, you know, partially possibly for him to get a little extra money, but he is really making the sacrifice for Rebecca. So then we also see how smart Kobe is in a very practical way. There is a huge blizzard and they're worried about the cattle. And so everyone is trying to figure out how to save them. And this is what happens. And this is a little bit of Kobe versus Levi as well. Rebecca said, Levi is a man of solutions. You have an idea, don't you, Levi? I wish I did, he said. <laughs> Kobe cleared his throat. I might have an idea. She looked at him skeptically. <laughs> so then Kobe tell, gives his idea of how to save the cows. And Rebecca wants to join the men and go along. And, and Levi says, it's cold for a young lady. And Kobe says, that's no young lady. That's Rebecca. Let her come. One might feel like Levi's being very chivalrous on that occasion. And that maybe Kobe was being a little rude by calling her no young lady. But in reality, he was giving her a really big compliment, which Rebecca recognizes. And he was supporting what she wanted to do. So you've walked us through a lot of different examples of this emotional intimacy that Rebecca develops with Kobe and wants to have with Levi, but it doesn't really happen. So let's go back to that idea of physical and emotional intimacy, because we haven't really had physical, I mean, we have a, a handshake. Yes, with Kobe and some dancing, and some, some dancing. heart fluttering, uh, but not a lot of physical intimacy. So how is that coming into play in Rebecca's story? Or does it? Well, it is a Martine Lovett book, so there's definitely a kiss. And I know that's what you're looking for, because I know that's your favorite, Emery. Oh. <laughs> I'm teasing her because it's not her favorite to write, while I quite enjoy writing them. Okay, so they go on a hike, Kobe and Rebecca and some others. They go for a hike in the mountains, and, and Kobe and Rebecca get separated from the others. And this is what happens. Kobe watched the elk with what could be nothing less than joy. Yes, please, she said. He looked at her. I mean, to the kiss, yes, please. Because earlier he had asked if he could kiss her and she didn't say anything. <laughs> then his mouth was on hers and right then and there she and Kobe invented kissing. He kissed her and kissed her again and she let him and let him. Whatever he wanted, the answer was yes. Her spine bloomed into flame until all that was left was light on bone. He stopped trying to get his breath. 
Do it again, she said. Better not, he said. (laughs) (laughs) So I had such a romantic kiss and also cute and funny. And this is toward the end of the book. And because we know that Rebecca and Kobe are emotionally linked and that they have this emotional relationship, it just makes the kiss that much more enjoyable. And I will say, I was a little surprised that Martine talked about a body part because she's very much (laughs) against them. (laughs) The spine is at least an unusual body part, and she uses it metaphorically. Well, exactly, because this is... Have you ever heard of that? No, you have not. So if you can write something in a way that you've never heard before, then I think it's okay. I think she'll give you a pass on the body parts. (laughs) I love in that scene too, how the personalities carry through in the kiss. Like, yes, it's heightened emotion. There's heightened physical reactions. And yet it's still Rebecca and it's still Kobe. And I think you mentioned the humor in it. That comes from their characters. And they're engaging together. It's really them. It's not just generic kiss land. Right. And that makes it so much more enjoyable for the reader. And it shows that emotional intimacy building to make the physical intimacy that much deeper and better for the reader and for the characters and for all of us. So Erin, what are you taking away from today? I am taking away that it deepens the book to have the emotional intimacy. It deepens the characters. So if you are looking to make your characters more interesting, more real, then look toward emotional intimacy. And I would say you can extend this past romance into friendship, into parents and children, into siblings, into any relationship that you want to show more of who the characters are and how they move in their relationships. Yeah, I'm really, this is making me think a lot about a novel that I have kind of on the back burner that Martine helped me frame and start at the beginning. And she's like, it's a romance. And I'm like, no, it's not. (laughs) It's a friendship story. And I realized at some point that it is both a romance and a friendship story, depending on which character's point of view you're in. But the emotional intimacy piece, I haven't really thought about in those terms. There's definitely like one character has a yearning for the romance with the physical intimacy part and the other character doesn't. And so like, how do those things come into play? How does emotional intimacy, like it's, I mean, that's kind of the central question of the book and I haven't thought about it in those terms. So it's really, really helpful. Well, and I will give you another thing that I think is good to think about when we're trying to make these emotionally intimate moments for our characters is that some of the deeper ones, some of the really important ones are the ones that tell us more about our characters' desire lines and how that is seen or how that is interacted with by the other characters. Because like we mentioned, Levi seems like a great guy and he has a lot of strengths and Kobe is a great guy, but he also, he has strengths and weaknesses as as we all do. And so had Levi been more aligned with Rebecca's desire line, then maybe he would have been the guy for her. And that is hopefully helpful to you as you're looking at your manuscript and you're thinking, well, 
how do my character's desire lines interact? And can I show that through emotionally intimate conversations or conversations that kind of miss the mark? All right, Erin, lots to think about. So give us your one beautiful sentence for today. This is right after Rebecca finds out about Ammon and LaRue. Rebecca danced round the maypole with her ribbon, and she thought of her LaRue, and all that goodness and badness was just such a ribbon thing, under and over, round and round, under and over, until it seemed all the good and bad in the world couldn't be told one from the other. What a beautiful image for a really complex feeling. I know. I'm so tempted to extend this episode and talk about why that sentence is so beautiful <laughs> that I, I will refrain. <laughs> we are going to have a whole episode on metaphors and language. So you will get to talk about that. Don't worry. So that's it for today. If you're enjoying this podcast, you can find more content like this at kidlitcraft.com. And you can find us on social media at kidlitcraft. You can support this podcast on Patreon. And we also have amazing t-shirts, very soft t-shirts that have our fantastic logo that was designed by Sandra Bosher. And you can find those t-shirts on Cotton Bureau. And we'll have a link in the show notes. Please download the episodes, like, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And let your writer friends know about the podcast. Reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. And we can't wait to nerd out with you. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.